Yeah, see, that's your fault. Because <laughs> with Jeff, I felt good about just recycling and then picking it up, right? With you, it was like create less waste. And I'll tell you, it has been really interesting during COVID because you want to support your local businesses and restaurants in particular, right? And I've got a client that's got all these restaurants that's done a phenomenal job keeping people employed and serving their customers in their community. And yet with takeaway food, man, the packaging, we went and for our picnic for six of us, it was like half a trash can full of containers and plastic knives and forks and bags. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. The day before Chester and I recorded this conversation, by chance, while researching for blog posts of mine on leadership, I stumbled on a site listing the top 30 leadership gurus for 2020. They named Chester number four. I had to ask him about it, which led him to sharing about it. When I asked him about his path to reach this level amid so many other people doing similar things, he shared so many wonderful and helpful stories that I kept asking for more. I wanted to hear about his bottle commitment, but he was giving what amounted to a master class in becoming a leadership guru, but more than that, because it's also how to manifest any passion. You'll hear that his passion, it wasn't to do what it looks like he's doing when you just look at his behavior. That's what you see. He shares what motivated him to start and what kept him going through failure, through working for no pay, through fear, through anxiety, and all the things that you don't see if you just see best-selling author, big-time speaker. Then he also shares his experience decreasing pollution that is acting on the commitment that he talked about last time with the bottles. I've had several guests who have contacted me midway after the first episode and before the second, where they said they couldn't figure out how to do their commitment. And in all cases, with a little reflection and support from me, they've surpassed their expectations. They go back and revisit and figure out how to do it. Frankly, I thought Chester might come back and say he didn't really know what to do. On the contrary, he did it and he shared the results. I won't share specifically what, but you'll get to hear from him. So here's Chester Elton. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spoda. I'm here with Chester Elton. Chester, how are you doing? Doing great. Good to be on your show again. Thanks for the invite. Glad to have you here. And I wish we could have recorded all of our conversations. Actually, I was writing an article about leadership and I was looking up like top leadership people. You are probably aware that there's a page that says top 30 leadership gurus of 2020. And I believe you are number four. Yeah, yeah, I and, am. <laughs> and your co-author, oh, his name escapes me for the, for the moment, is also in there? Adrian Gosling. Yeah, he's like number eight or something. We're both in the top 10. Now, I wish I'd known this so that I could have been properly nervous talking to you, but you put me at ease instead. <laughs> well, you know what's really funny is that that's kind of a cool community, the global gurus. And uh, actually, they have different categories. And there's one on organizational culture, which is the work that Adrian and I really have focused on for the last 20 years. Of course, leadership is a part of that. And we're actually ranked number two and three in that category. And we know who's number one really well. And being in New Jersey, I'm, I'm talking to a guy who knows a guy uh -huh. that can, you know, make that number one person go away, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that. It's, it's always fun to be recognized for your work. And number four in leadership is, is wonderful. Yeah. And then like way down on the list is like Tony Robbins, which is a pretty household name for a lot of people. Yeah. There's some, there's some great names in there. And it's always fun to be in that category. I always, I always say when I see that list and I see my name, it's like a kid's game. One of these 
things is not like the other. <laughs> it's like, oh, I know all those guys. Who's Chester? You know, so. Actually, it's funny because as I do more of my sustainability leadership, I find myself using this phrase, the mantle of leadership of right. that. I believe the world is just not taking on. Mantle, I guess, means like a cloak. And have you evolved? I mean, you, you kind of joked like to see yourself there. I don't think, I don't read in you, what's that syndrome called where they feel like they don't deserve it or something like that. I feel like- Imposter syndrome. Yeah, I don't, I don't hear that from you. I feel like, but is there a feeling of, of I've arrived or this is what I've been working for or this is what I need to do to serve my clients? Did you have to go through a transition to reach a level? I mean, is it just you're doing good work and you're just doing such good work that, that it gets out there? Or did you also say- I am intending not just to serve these few clients that know me, but to take on a bigger role in the world. I'm curious. Yeah, I think it's all of that, really. You know, it's kind of funny. When Adrian and I first started to write, we've been doing this for for 20 years now. Uh, Early on, it was interesting. I'll I'll never forget. I can remember quite vividly. We were invited to speak to a group who was an automotive parts supplier in Detroit. And it was Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. the, the parts and so on. And we have a lot of fun when we present and we don't often get to present together. And this time we did. And we had a lot of fun, you know, we talking about recognition and making people feel valued. And, you know, we have our fuzzy carrots and we're throwing to people and getting them engaged and, and really talking about how important it is that when people do exceptional work that you take a minute to say thank you. The message was really very simple. Well, after that, we, we met with a group of executives and um, we were talking to them, and we were kind of uh, being a little, uh, oh, we were trying to have fun with them and telling a joke here and there. Well, you know, when English is your second language, you don't always get the joke, right? Uh-huh. And I'll never forget as we walked off later, Adrian said, uh, you know, you got to be careful what you say because they write it all down. Like, because in your eyes, you, in their eyes, you're a leadership expert. When you say stuff, they wrote it down. And I remember saying stuff like, yeah, you know, one of the things you could do just for fun is like a Friday toga party or something. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Americans laughed and all the Japanese guys were writing it down. I went, I'm just kidding. So when you talk about that, that mantle, you know, as we've written more and we've spoken in bigger venues and, and done more work, part of that mantle is you kind of have to be careful what you say. Now, I remember early on in our careers, we would jump in and just get in people's faces and really challenge them. And, of course, you know, the, the higher up you get, the less appropriate that is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we have evolved in our messaging. We've been uh, more careful with that mantle, realizing that words matter and the way you address people matters. And, and we made a hundred mistakes along the way. That's it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like you say, you learn, you grow, you develop, and then all of a sudden you step back and you think, huh, I need to be a little more careful here and a little less frivolous. So one thing, if you're making mistakes and they're, in, I imagine they're an inevitable part of this, and I know performance is maybe at a certain point you get so good that you enjoy it purely, but I'm sure there's nervousness before. I think of like, what's his name with the Celtics who would throw up before every game, even though, even after they'd won like many championships. Bill Russell. To, yeah, I think it was Bill Russell. I think to the point where his teammates were nervous if he didn't throw up before a game, like, is he not in it? <laughs> you know, it's, it's so great that you asked that question because, you know, I've presented literally thousands of times from groups as small as, you know, 10 people to, you know, 10,000. And uh, people ask me that all the time. So you've done it so often. Uh, do you get nervous? I, say, I get nervous every time. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't get nervous, it's an indicator that you don't care. 
I had this sleepless night just the other night. I, I, I did this thing for, for Lockheed Martin. And it was interesting because it was a, a virtual presentation. And yet there were people there. And they put it, it was really kind of cool, actually. They put up these massive flat screens. And they went to gallery mode. So you could actually see about 150 little squares of people. Uh-huh. And yet there were probably 10 people in the room and all social distanced and masked up and everything. And you're presenting to the camera. And so it was kind of cool that you could kind of look and see people, and yet they were all muted. So, uh, again, you know, I, I would say something that I thought was particularly funny, and I'd kind of chuckle. And, of course, there's you no tell. reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like, hey, hey, is this on? You know, tough crowd. <laughs> so, you know, because that was my first time in that kind of a forum, not doing it digitally, but in a forum like that, where you're actually presenting and standing and talking, and yet there's really nobody physically there. I hardly slept the night before because I thought, how's that going to work? And how do you, and yet then you get up. And a friend of mine said, you know, this is all part of not just the leadership mantle, but the performance mantle is that when the red light goes on, it all makes sense. If you understand what I mean, it's like, you know, I have friends that are like musicians and they'll get very nervous before. And then when the mic goes live, all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Oh man, there's a great quote from Charlie Parker. It's like, first you got to learn your instrument, then you got to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. And then when you get up on stage, you forget about all that and you just wail. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't practice, you can't wail. Right. And, and for me, it's, it's really interesting, particularly when, you know, whether you're sitting on a panel or you're, you're presenting or whatever it might be, is how do you start? You know, you got to get off to a good start. Like, you know, I'm not a great musician. In fact, I'm not even a musician. So uh, the great point doesn't matter is that if the first chord is sour, I, th- I think that's tough to recover. Uh-huh. You know, if you crack, if your voice cracks on the first note, I think it's, you know, tough to recover. That's why the, 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 the start, I always say, look, you've got about seven seconds to capture people. And if you, and if you can do that and have a little fun and bring people in, then you can go. And to me, it's the, it's the beginning. Clearly, the content is important. How do you start? How do you finish? And often in, in preparing for presentations, I'll, I'll ask the committee or whoever it is, I said, look, give me three things you want people to take away from my 40 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever it is. And then, you know, you do that self-evaluation. Did we check all, the, all three boxes? And, you know, for me, it's always was it statistically valid? In other words, was your research valid, right? Were the case studies meaningful? So the, the numbers give you credibility. The case studies are the stories that people tend to remember before they remember that 67.375 people in America have never had hot porridge. You know, silly things mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> I like how I said 67 people, not percentage of people, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then thirdly is... Did you give them the tools to go ahead and replicate what those case studies did? So I, I've got the numbers that give me credibility, the case studies that can be done, and then here are the tools, and you can do it too. And it's really interesting when that kind of flow happens and you've got an engaging beginning. In other words, here's why we're all here. And then the challenge at the end, you know, go forth and do, and you've got the tools to do it. It's amazing to me how quickly, you know, 60 minutes just blows by mm-hmm. and you can have fun with people. You can engage people. And then the ultimate compliment is you gave me confidence. I'm going to go do it. Does that all make sense? 
Yeah. And in fact, I, I keep wanting to ask about the challenge of the bottles, but I feel like I'm also giving the audience a masterclass in leadership. And, oh, and <laughs> good. actually, I, I have my, my go-to start. I mean, if I have something very, very topical that I can start with in the moment, especially if it's funny, I'll start with that. But usually it's basically, I've been on both sides of these things where I've planned events like this and I've spoken at events like this. And I know that if it runs really well, it looks like no one did any work. That means some team did a lot of work. And I just came up here and, and just talk here. So I want to give a thanks to, and then I name the people and like get, get the audience applauding for the organizers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's something that I often forget to do. I always do it behind the scenes. It's always better when you do it in front of the camera is, you know, the tech crew, the AV guys, you know. Yeah. I always save a handful of carrots for the, for the camera guys, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And you do it at the end because if you do it at the beginning, it seems like a bribe, you know at the end. And uh, my wife will always say, you know, how did the presentation go? And I said, you know, the guys whose who's endorsement you probably value more than anybody, interestingly enough, is the tech crew. And the reason is, is they see everybody, uh-huh. you know, and, and if, if, if you go to the back and the tech guys go, great job, you go, okay, nailed it, <laughs> you know? So it was funny. I remember I was doing this presentation in Birmingham, England, and it was a it was a half day workshop. I mean, it was you know three hours, and we had a break in the middle of the whole bed. I came back at the end to give back my lavalier and all the stuff. And the tech guy goes, "It's amazing, right?" He said, "I didn't look at my phone one time. <laughs> Perfect." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two and the and the foul. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's always fun to engage with the tech guys. That's for sure. Amid all of this anxiety before going up on stage. Amid all this knowing that you're going to fail and you know, learn from those failures, is it easy for you to answer this question? Like, what motivated you to do this? What's, are you serving some greater purpose? Is there something, and is it the same now as it was when you first started? I don't know anyone who says, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a leadership guru. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. There probably are, and there probably are people that don't get there, actually. We started out very simply writing our books because I, I was selling recognition programs to companies and, and I just love the impact it had on people when you pulled somebody up on stage and you thanked them for whatever it was, you know, maybe it was just for literally surviving for 30 years at the company. People say, oh, you're recognizing survival. I go, heck yeah. <laughs> you know how hard it is to, to stay at a company for 30 years. I mean, they did something, right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, sales or, or, or patents or, or whatever, th- those moments that, that people relive again and again and again. And so my idea in writing the books was to really just get the message out and quite selfishly as a salesperson to make my job easier. You know, I told our CEO, if we became the thought leaders, I wouldn't have to cold call. People would call me because they'd say, hey, we, we need employee recognition and you're the thought leaders, you know, coach us up. And it was uh, Kent Murdoch, our CEO at the time, who said, uh, well, write the book then. And I said, you don't get it. I didn't say I should write the book. I thought you should write the book. And then I would benefit from said book, right? And it was really interesting. He said, well, you're a smart guy. Figure it out. Isn't that interesting? You're a smart guy. Figure it out. Write the book. It almost feels like he's abdicating leadership to you. Well, no, he's delegating. Yeah. He was saying, look, you know, you're smart enough to do this. I don't have to do this for you. You can do it. Do you work for him now? No, no. Unfortunately, he, and that's another story. We are dear friends still. And I love Kent Murdoch. I attribute so much of the things that are good in my life to him and to that conversation. Because a year later, he called me back and he said, look, I've hired a writer. I know you're not a writer. Adrian Gostick's a writer. 
get together, write the book. Huh? So we did. And a year later, we dropped a book on his desk. It was so funny. He goes, I love being CEO. You say stuff and it happens. <laughs> it's good to be king, right? And, and then we, we wrote a whole series of books. I mean, our book, Leading with Gratitude, available at fine bookstores everywhere, should hold it up as a vigil, is, is really sort of the, the culmination of all that employee recognition work we did. And it was really funny the way it evolved because people would, would buy the book. It was Managing with Carrots was our first little book. You've got a copy up here somewhere. So I got to say to the to the listeners, I, I haven't corrected you that it's only audio. So he's showing like these carrots that <laughs> that uh, he gives out to the audience because his character and he's wearing orange. He's always wearing orange, and he's showing the book covers. So sorry, I just want to make sure that the full message gets across that it's only that they're not missing out on the full value of what you're of what you're sharing. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, you know, and it was interesting because people would buy the book and they'd say, "Hey, I love the book." Of course, you speak on your book, right? And we went, "Sure." <laughs> Why not? You know, we, we had good day jobs and it was all part of, you know, building the brand. And so we could literally go speak for free. Well, nobody passes up free. And so what Adrian and I did was we said, well, let's let's go to a bunch of conferences and let's look at the speakers and what they do and what we think is is good. Like what, what's really engaging. You know, we didn't want to lecture. We wanted to present. And so we we saw the fish guys had their colored fish that they'd throw into the crowd. We said, well, that's great. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, and let's make them, you know, things that people would actually want to keep, you know, as opposed to the sparkly pen or whatever. And then we saw guys that used a lot of video and guys that were really funny. And, and we had a friend that was a stand-up comedian. And so we'd get our scripts and we'd say, you know, yuck it up for us. And so I don't know, but I, I want to go back to the beginning that you didn't decide to go on the path that you're on. You were doing something, you were selling something. I presume you loved what you're selling. You liked that team and something augmented it. So you, you could have stayed where you were and just, you know, had a decent job. Oh, it was a great job. I made a lot of money selling. I mean, uh, I grew up in sales and it was really interesting for a while. I was doing three different jobs for the company. We were developing new technical platforms we were writing books and speaking, and I was still running a sales territory. And I, I, I remember at one point, it just, I crashed. And I remember calling the head of sales and I said, look, you got to make a call. I can't, I can't do all of it. Uh-huh. You know, and, and if you decide you just want me to be a salesperson, fine. <laughs> I, I'm good with that. You know, I'm hearing that it's available to anyone. I mean, you're leading in the way that is your style, but anyone could get on this path. I, I'm hearing. You, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting, Josh, because I find that the people that arrived where they are through just the growth and their path appreciate it more than, like you said, somebody said, for example, we, we had a guy that worked for us in our training company. And he said, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a public speaker. On what? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like we'd present, I remember I was presenting at American Express in, in Phoenix and we did the third shift. The guys that never get any attention, right? I think I presented for me. 10 p.m. to midnight or something. And it was, it was great. Uh-huh. And, a, and a really engaging young guy comes up and he says, hey, hey, that was fabulous. He goes, I want to do what you do. And I said, great. What do you think that is? <laughs> you know? And he says, you're just a great storyteller. I said, no, that's not it. He said, what you have to understand is over the years in writing and coaching and teaching for the last, you know, and I think at that point it was like 12 years. I've become one of the world's experts in employee engagement and recognition. So I don't tell stories. I share my knowledge through stories about 
employee engagement and the impact of recognition. And the reason people listen to me is because, to your point, I have credibility. So he says, well, so how do I get there? I said, well, what do you do? He says, I I manage the call center on the third shift. I said, okay, be the world's greatest manager of third shift call centers. And then people are going to say, man, how did you do that? And you said, you know what? I got a 60-minute presentation. I'll tell you all about it. He goes, deal. And we high-fived and he took off. So, you know, I I love that. Now, I want to back up a little bit in the story as we were putting together our presentations. I was born into a ridiculously happy family. I have four older brothers. My mom and dad were married for 65 years. I never heard my parents argue. My dad literally never raised his voice to my mother. I remember as a kid that whenever my mom would walk into a room, my dad would say, he would nudge me and he'd say, look at your mom. Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she talented? Aren't we lucky? Every day. I mean, I never heard anything but, isn't your mother amazing? Now, the great thing about being the youngest of five brothers, and they're all performers, by the way, all of them, and much better than I am or that I will ever be. My father was a great public speaker, and his father was a great public speaker. My grandfather, uh, David Horton Elton, was a poet, and he uh, spoke at the Kiwanis Clubs around. He was mayor of Lethbridge, Alberta for, for eight years, and so was speaking in public all the time. And so my father grew up hearing his father tell stories. And I grew up hearing my father tell stories about his dad. And my father was in radio. So he was actually a broadcaster. And then he went into management. So I grew up with my mom playing the piano and my dad singing and performing and reciting his dad's poems and them teaching me his poems. So when it came time for us to present, I had a lifetime of storytelling. Now, I, I think that there's a lot of people listening saying, oh, darn, if I had had a mom like that and a dad like that and a family history like that, then I could do as he does. But sadly, I don't have those things. Are they correct in, in feeling that way, those who felt that way? You know, maybe. I just think you draw on your own life experience. I mean, that my life experience there was, for me, was wonderful and in a way helped me prepare. I think everybody's life, you know, you, you reflect on has, has a story. And the way you tell that story. And so, you know what? If you want to be a a better storyteller, start telling stories or listen to great TED Talks. And, you know, you you can get there if if you have enough drive and and you have a message that you're passionate about enough that you think it's important to share. Yeah, I, I think I'm just so used to people saying, oh, you can do this, but I can't because blah, blah, blah. Well, I think they, if they say that, they're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they, saying that, yeah, that belief can make it is enough to make it right. But that doesn't mean that absent that belief, that's the case. I suspect that, well, all right, I'm going to switch now from the masterclass in heading into, into becoming a leadership guru. So remind us the commitment the, what, what drove you to it? I mean, I walked you through the process, but what were you doing and, and where is it coming from? The commitment to do what I do now or? Oh, with the bottles and, uh, and the house up, upstate. Yeah. So we've got this, this lovely little, you know, modest little lake house up in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. And it's a well, it's well water. It, it tastes great, by the way. And the thing about it is, is though we, we'd always have guests and they weren't comfortable with well water. So we would buy flats of water. Now, the thing is, is you can get 24 bottles of Poland Springs water for three bucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not expensive. I think the fact that we have good water and that we're buying water, $3 or $30, it's, it, you could say that's silly, right? Mm-hmm. 
And yet the economics on it was just so easy. You know, that people would go for hikes and you just throw them a bottle of water. You know, we're, we're very good about recycling, which I know you hate. <laughs> anyway. You're teasing um, you know, me there. It's, yeah. A little, 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 little bit of a tease with a little bit of truth. Here's what I don't like. I don't like people working on tactics when they don't have a strategy. Right, right. And so you brought it up. And my son, Brendan, actually brought it up a lot. So I, I, have, I, I now have my bottle. Right. And so this is now my bottle. So I, he's I holding a bottle. It's, it appears to be aluminum or he's got his reusable bottle. Uh-huh. I got it at a conference and it's, you know, it's a really good one. So now, you know, I don't drink out of any plastic bottles and that's mine. Well, the, the problem is, is when people came up and we have lots of guests is we'd have to have like, you know, 50 bottles. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So what we started to do is we didn't completely eliminate the plastic bottles. What we did is we would fill the fridge with fresh cold water and it's the well water. Somehow when it's in the fridge, it's less, I don't know, daunting for people. Mm-hmm. And when they'd come up, we'd say, okay, here's your bottle. And it would be the Poland Springs bottle, just the little bottle. And we, you know, mark their name on it and say, for the time you're up here, please don't use the whole flat of bottles. Just use your bottle and just fill it from the, from the fridge. So mm-hmm. we didn't completely eliminate plastic, but it's down about 90%. Per visit. So let me see if I get this. So someone comes up and you have the flat. And instead of every time they finish a bottle, every time they finish their 16 ounces or whatever, they put it in the recycling. Instead, they refill it from the tap, from the well water, put that back in the fridge, and it has their name on it. Now, if they accidentally break the bottle or something like that, then there is more if they need it. Right. Then they grab another one. And, and we found it worked really, really well. And that people really did keep track of their bottles. And, and yeah, you lose one or it cracks or, or, or whatever, and that's fine, you know, and you can replace it. And again, it's, it's $3 worth of plastic bottles that hopefully is going to last you the, the summer, you know. I mean, that's 24 people. And it was also, too, you know, we are in the age of COVID where you're not supposed to share your bottles and, mm-hmm. or touch each other or, you know, anything. So there was the safety there as opposed to saying, okay, I pulled one off the shelf. 10 other people used, even though we've cleaned it, mm-hmm. this, this one's now yours. Plus the fact that they're, the really nice bottles are kind of expensive and if people lose those, you're, you're out 20 bucks instead of, you know, 10 cents. I, I don't know if all this is making sense, but the, the challenge that you gave me, we really had to think it through and thought, you know, we need to do our part and how can we do it in a way where our guests, you know, can stay hydrated. We can use the natural well water and we're not creating more waste. So we didn't get to the point where we could eliminate it completely, although we feel pretty good about the fact that we probably eliminated it by about 90%. Does that, does that make sense? I think so. So you're, you're making them not single use for each person. Right. For each visit. So that's the play-by-play. How was the emotional interaction of it? Was it fun? Was it annoying? Was it uh, arduous? Was it easy? Was it, what was the emotional experience? Yeah, well, it's really interesting when you have guests and you're the host and it's your house. <laughs> it's kind of like these are our rules uh-huh. and people buy into it very quickly because you know they're they're staying with you and it's and it really is just a lovely lovely we we, we you and i've been trying to get up there for yeah. like the last two months and at any rate it's it's and so i think people buy into it because your house your rules and you know if if there's a knock-on effect i hope there is what's the distance from new york city to the place well it's a four and a half hour drive so it's it's about 250 miles 250 miles because, you know, I got this bike now that I, I got a new used bike, touring bike, and I'm going to get the panniers and a tent. And so 
I think I'm going to try to ride up there. Okay. Well, the thing so is, like a three day ride. Yeah. So when you, when you ride up, of course, if you look at the map in New York city, it's uphill all the way. The, the yeah. nice thing is it's downhill. downhill all the way back. You can coast all the way home. Yeah. And you know, there's actually the, the way you should go is obviously the smaller highways. Yeah. And once you get into the Adirondacks, there's camping places everywhere. Like the, you can literally just pull off the road into these little areas and it's, mm-hmm. it's incredibly beautiful. So I'm going to work on that. So again, what emotions, can you name some of the emotions you felt? You know, it was really interesting since you've challenged me. And I've got a really good friend who's got an app called Literati. Do, do you know this? Yeah, app? Jeff. I think we talked about Jeff before. And he's been a guest on the podcast. Yeah. In fact, World Cleanup Day is September 19th. So put that on your, on your calendar. And between you and Jeff, it's really interesting. I was, I was out this morning. You know, our, our, we've got our grandkids for a week. And um, I was taking Clara and her stroller and whatnot. And I picked up like five plastic bottles and put them in the recycling bins you know, around the park. Mm-hmm. the emotional part for me is how could you do that? How could you like drink your water and drop your bottle? Now I have this philosophy of assume positive intent. So what I'm hoping is, is that it was a mom with a bunch of kids and it just fell off the cart, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. intentional. Like there wasn't somebody that drank it and then crumpled it up and just threw it on the ground. Although at the same time, I'm thinking, well, if it, if it was intentional, shame on you. If it's unintentional, how lucky is it for me to be able to pick it up and, and recycle it? And isn't that what we should be doing, kind of looking out for each other? So the emotion for me is, is that if I can create less plastic and if I can help people that are littering, if I can clean things up in my own little way, like Jeff would say, you know, they've picked up what, like a million pieces of trash in, in so many years. Yeah, they're way past a million. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just say, well, I did my part. And if we all just do a little bit, we can make it all, all better. And I'll tell you where it really is emotional for me is when I'm in the Adirondacks and we go on these just beautiful hikes. I mean, you know, up to the top of a mountain or around a lake or whatever it might be. And as you're walking and you see a plastic bottle on the trail, I just go, come on, how could you desecrate such a beautiful place? And, and we do, we pick them all up and Make it nicer for the next year. You talk about all the plastic that you see off in nature and that's been littered, but you weren't littering. You were putting it into the recycling. What difference does it make that you're now putting less in the recycling? Yeah, see, that's your fault. Because <laughs> with Jeff, I felt good about just recycling and then picking it up, right? With you, it was like create less waste. And I'll tell you, it, it has been really interesting during COVID because you want to support your local businesses and restaurants in particular, right? And I've got a client that's got all these restaurants that's done a phenomenal job keeping people employed and serving their customers in their community. And yet with takeaway food, man, the packaging, we went and, you know, for our picnic for, you know, six of us, it was like half a trash can full of containers and plastic knives and forks and bags what if it was all recyclable? Then is there a problem? Like, are, is there something that you're doing for yourself internally or are you doing this for me? Yeah, well, both. And let me explain what I mean by that. Before I thought, yeah, as long as we're recycling, it's okay. The, the, where you really opened my eyes was, yeah, recycling is okay. It's still trash. And it's still causing all kinds of problems, depending on how it gets recycled and how it gets. Re- so less is better. 
So now I, I really kind of take a look and, you know, even simple things. Well, I'll, I'll go by and they say, do you want a bag for that? And I'll go, no, <laughs> I don't need another bag or I don't need it. And what can I reuse? And what can I just refill? And I'm, I, I'm never going to get to your level where I go to Whole Foods and pick up the peanuts that people have left behind. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, I think that's great. And at the same time, a little crazy, to be honest. I do though think that the awareness that you're raising is so important because yes, recycling is great. Less trash though is the ideal. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a book that I'm reading that, and, and cause I, you pop up in all these kinds of streams of consciousness for me now, you know, uh-huh. particularly when it comes to the environment, I heard a great interview with Jane Goodall, uh-huh. you know, who did all the work with, who's still alive and doing amazing work. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I went and got her book called Reason for Hope. I'm holding up the book Reason for Hope <laughs> by Jane Goodall. And, you know, she says, look, who needs four houses? Who needs all this stuff? Because, you know, she is very much like you. She would go into the jungle with a tent and the supplies that she needed. And, of course, in the jungle, she said, you know, you can you can just pull up Forge. food off a tree. Yeah, mm-hmm. a banana off a tree. And, and, and her whole push is, too, we've become such consumers without thinking about what does that mean to the world? And, you know, she says, you know, I, now I go back to Africa and these, the jungle's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And there are fewer and fewer chimpanzees and fewer and fewer antelope. And it's because of this conspicuous consumption. Mm-hmm. How much do we really need? And isn't it enough to just go out and enjoy the beauty of nature? And, and, and when I go up to our, our, our lake house, I, I think the same thing. I just, you know, you walk on these trails and you just sit on the dock and you look at the incredible beauty that's around you. And there's nothing spoils it more than garbage on the trail or a plastic bottle that floats by, you know. And so, yeah, I think recycling is great. You know, if, if, the, if that's your start, well, that's, I think that's a wonderful start. Less is more is better let's not be such conspicuous consumers that everything has to come in a new package, right? If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Did a lot of that come from this experience with the, with the bottles? Yeah, absolutely. Because if that's the change you had with just this one little experiment, and I'm reading emotions that you like coming out of it. You haven't named the emotions. You, you're talking about like the experience. Then I suspect that you will, what you call extreme in me, I believe that within a couple of years, you will see as extreme. I also described as extreme the other direction. I think I pollute extremely a lot because it might be only one bag per year and a half or two years. But 500 years from now, it's still going to be there. And I consider that extreme. That's a, an extreme amount of waste that I've left for future generations. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, the fact that Americans are polluting more than me doesn't change. My measure is how I'm affecting other people, not how other people are affecting other people. So I believe that you will, maybe less than a few years, will view my current behavior as extremely a lot. 
or my, my trash output is extremely a lot. The hope is, is that in, in, in you know, 20 years, your behavior becomes the norm. Or extreme the other way, that we pass it by. And, and I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's great that you tap into emotion because I have a, a podcast, but not really a podcast. It's a you know, LinkedIn live thing and that we then make into a podcast. And um, I get to interview these amazing people. And every one of them, whether you like it or not, leaves an impression and, and changes you, mm-hmm. you know, for good or ill. And the way this has all come together for me with, with you is that um, I interviewed this really great guy, uh, Jonah, uh, Jonah Paquette. He's this um, clinical psychologist for Kaiser Permanente. And he's done this remarkable work that he's published in a book called Awestruck. Again, I'm holding up another, another book. Awestruck. Yeah. <laughs> and he says how embracing wonder can make you happier, healthier, healthier, and more connected. And it's really interesting as you read through, he says, you know, we've become disconnected from moments of awe as we become more city dwellers and more disconnected from nature. At least this is my interpretation of what I've, what I've read so far. And it's, it is interesting that in the city, you don't see the stars. You can't. There's too much light pollution at night, right? And one of my favorite things to do up at the lake is on a clear night to go down and sit on the dock and just look up because it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, you literally are awestruck. I'm going to give you another one. From where you are right now, I, don't, I can see behind you into your, I can see a bookshelf and things on the wall. From where you are right now, and I'm asking all the listeners as well, how many living things can you see right now? I don't count because I'm on a computer screen. Right. Oh, my God. A little kid just walked by, a grandchild. <laughs> it's, my, it's my grandson, Lucas. Yeah. He'll jump in here any minute. He's, there's a living thing right there. So most of the time, like I have two basil plants, two tomato plants. Other than that, I, can't, I can go to the window and see people walking around downstairs. I can see trees if I look. Most people don't have living, living things. Like very, and, but even if someone says there's a lot of living things around, I think before humans made it to Manhattan, you could walk from the entire length of Manhattan and probably never get full direct sunlight because you just have trees the entire time. And now people are happy if there's a tree line block and we're missing all the awe. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree that disconnection from nature is, is a tragic in a lot of ways. So the listeners can hear. I think they'll they'll find it adorable. <laughs> he is adorable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a dinosaur. Okay. I'm not even going to edit this out. <laughs> All right. I asked about emotions. Also, what about the relationships? How did this affect your relationships, either with people who came up there with you, or your family, or or the people that you would have bought this stuff from that you're not buying it from? Yeah, you know, we didn't make a big deal out of it. We just said, look, this is what we do. And this is our way of kind of taking care of things. And, you know, having that place and going up there regularly really has emotionally impacted me in ways I never would have thought because we're city dwellers and have been, right? Now, I grew up in British Columbia. So as a kid, I was surrounded by magnificent mountains and the ocean. And I would see it on a daily basis. Well, when we moved, you know, east and... And we, we we didn't get that daily dose. It hardens you to stuff. I think you know. I, I think this this work that the, that Jonah's doing in awe is is so important. Oh wait, wait I'm going to interrupt you. I, I apologize for that. But I asked you about your experience with this, and you're talking about Jonah, and you're talking about British Columbia. But yeah, yeah. what about this stuff with with the the bottles? Yeah, the stuff with the bottles really really was emotional for me because it it made me think every time I opened a bottle, is that necessary? 
and the relationships and, and the relationships with people. I, you know, I, I, I've shared it with a few. I don't, I don't think it hasn't impacted any relationships. I think people know, particularly when we're up at the lake, that this is, this is something that we care for, that we are stewards of this beauty and we need to be careful. Because okay, I, I think you may be discounting and I, I could be seeing things the way I want to see it, but I think you were saying at the beginning, this is really going to be hard because how are people going to like, are they going to have a problem? Are we going to, are we not going to be taking care of our guests properly? And it feels like it being a non-issue is actually a significant effect. But I, you know, I'm biased because I want to hear that. Yeah, I, I will tell you, it wasn't hard at all. And it wasn't because we sat everybody down and down and said, okay, look, Joshua Spodek. Okay, talk. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I went, for, before you do anything, I want you to listen to these three podcasts and then you know, tell me what you think. It was literally, it was just like, hey, so glad you're here. You know, this is our happy place. This is, you know, it, it's spectacularly beautiful. And uh, here's what we do with our water. And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really that simple. It, we didn't have to go deep. It was just keep track of your bottle. We want to, you know, create as little waste as we can, as you might guess. Now, if you lose it, there's another one. Uh, we just really ask you to be, be careful with how much waste you create. And they go, okay, fine. I want to bring that out there. And I hope you're not just saying that. It doesn't sound like you're just saying that because I think a lot of people, it's like, well, what I do doesn't matter and all this. They have all these reasons not to act, but there's no effort. Yeah, you know, we build it up in our heads, I think, that, oh, they're going to think I'm this, you know, crazy Greenpeace, you know, let's get in a, a, a boat and try to save the whales. And it's like, no, it's really, it's really, it's like, now, if one of my guests had come up and, and had said a bunch of stuff like that to me, I, it, maybe the reaction would have been a little different. Although, you know, I'm a pretty coachable guy, I probably would have said, hey, sounds great, let's do it. Uh, so I think we, we, we build up in our heads that it's going to be a big deal. And then when we do it, we kind of go, oh, that was, that was a lot easier. Than I thought. <laughs> you know, I think most people, particularly, and I, you know, getting back to Joshua and, and Ostrak, or Jonah and Ostrak, is that um, when you're in that kind of beauty and people says, hey, we just ask you to be a little careful. Will you help us take care of it? They go, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, why would we, why would we mess this up? And uh, the other part, I think, when, when you're the host, the leverage you have is, and I've, found this in the case of our lake house is it really is a jewel it really is this this place in the woods that's spectacular they want to be invited back (laughs) so so if they don't obey the rules they know they won't get invited back right so i think as as the host you have a bit of leverage and if you use it in a kind way people don't mind people are happy to to buy in last question is uh and it's gonna be really tempting to answer the way you know, the listeners are going to want to hear it, but genuinely, where's it going to go next? Is, is this the end of it or is it, is it leading to more? I think for a lot of people, they'll just do a little bit and then forget about it and that's it. And that's, it could be, I'm not sure. I don't want to put you on the spot either. No, I, I think it's a great question, you know, cause you say, is this going to be enough? And then the hope, hope is that there's a ripple or a knock on effect. Right. So then all of a sudden you say, well, and there's always a little bit of it as uh, that's happened already. Do you need a bag for that? Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want a paper receipt or can I email it to you? I mean, all those little things add up, mm-hmm. right? You say, yeah, no, I don't need a receipt. Please don't print it out. I don't need a bag. I'm fine. So yeah, I, I hope there's a, a, a bigger impact. I really, it really was disturbing when we did our little picnic and they gave me all that stuff, which mm-hmm. they kind of have to do to make you feel safe in COVID. Mm-hmm. And yet, man, it was, I mean... The amount of trash that we created for one meal in the park 
it was it did have an impact on me. Did you notice it more because of the, the commitment with the bottles? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so did that commitment bring to your life? It brought you this recognition and made you feel like, oh, is that? Did that make your life worse? Are, are you? If you could go back, would you not have done the commitment so that you wouldn't have had that feeling? Well, I think the feeling is is really positive. What what it does is it causes all the cognitive dissonance, right? Because I want to support the local restaurants. And at the same time, I don't want to create all this trash. And yet I can't support the local restaurants without creating all this trash. So then so then my default is, well, let's make sure that we really separate it, recycle it, and make it as, as low impact as, as possible. You know, it does make you, you know, it, my, my initial reaction was, ah, we probably just should have made this food at home and bought our own food. And yet I understand the economics of people's jobs and and so on. So yeah, all of a sudden there's a lot of juggling that goes on. We got to get, you know, you know what this problem needs? This problem needs a number four in the world leadership guru to figure out. <laughs> well, I'm only number four, so people. it's not me. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think, and I, you know, I think what you're doing, you know, I think what you're doing, Joshua, is really important. You're, you're getting people to think. And if you get a lot of people to change their behavior just a little bit, you can make a big difference. And then the knock-on, like you say, initially it, it comes across as being extreme. And then you hope over the years it becomes the norm. Well, my strategy here is not a lot of people, but very influential people on the podcast. You know, that's what's yeah. leadership in the environment, not the common person in the environment. Yes. And, and I think that those leaders can be really influential. And if you, a bunch of other people, lower levels do it. Well, that's the other strategy. That's, that, I'm not, there's a lot of people doing that. And I'm glad they're doing that. And I'm, I'm doing this strategy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to leave you with an open invitation to come back anytime, especially <laughs> whether things change, whether things don't change, whether you take things up, whether you don't take things up. It's, uh, it's thoughtful and, and introspective. And well, we're going to talk anyway, so might as well hit the record button every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Anything to leave the listeners with to, or anything I didn't think to ask? Well, you know, for me to ask of the listeners, you know, I, I would just ask this. I think that, you know, initially we talked about how do you become like a a global guru. And, you know, I think like anything is continue to be curious and read and listen to a lot of different opinions and, and find, you know, ways to make a little difference every day. I, I have a goal to, to uh, have a random act of kindness every day and to uplift a stranger. And I hold myself accountable at the end of the day. Did I do that? You know, did I do my best to be happy today? Did I do my best to be grateful? Did I do my best to uplift my wife? and make her feel loved and appreciated. And, and I think all those little things, if we get into the routine and hold each other accountable, and, and I think this is one of them. Did I, did I do my best to, to clean up today? Whether it was I created less waste or I picked up some garbage and just made the world a little, a little more beautiful. And I, I think that's a great challenge. You know, I, I love our, our, our latest book on, on leading with gratitude. I think it's a great way to lead. I think it's a great way to, to live. And let's be grateful for our space. Let's be grateful for our food and our water and, and our relationships and our friendships. And, and your challenge to me to, to take better care of all of that was, was remarkable. And it's, it's had its impact on me. And I, I hope it has an impact for the people that are listening. Man. Let's leave it on gratitude. Chester Elton, thank you very much. Hey, always a pleasure. Take care. I meant to ask Chester if he felt like I could have done this a long time ago because it felt like in the end, after he got past what he described, that we build the stuff up in our heads, the resistance, it sounded like he found the action simple and easy. I suspect he felt like he could have done it before, a long time ago. 
And it sounds to me, maybe you can tell differently than me, but it sounds to me like he'll find other things to do. So I hope he takes me up on my invitation to come back anytime he wants. As for you listening at home, what do you think at home? Is there any low-hanging fruit for you right in front of your face that might increase the awe or the connection in your life? Is there anything that might be holding you back from appreciating the nature around you or your own self-awareness? If so, let us know. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.